What's an M. Night? M. Night Shyamalan, the Indian filmmaker from Philly. Oh my god, this dude's a big deal. He you always puts I mean? some like awesome twist at the end of his movies to trick the audience. Oh yeah, yeah, like like in The Sixth Sense, you find out that the dude um, in that hairpiece the whole time, that's Bruce Willis the whole movie. That's not the twist. That's not the twist of that movie. That wasn't the twist? No. Hello and welcome to the Director's Wall podcast. Return to season one, the M Night Shift. I'm one of your co-hosts, AJ Gonzalez, and I'm Brian Connolly, the other co-host. All right. So, as uh, longtime listeners would know, we originally started this whole thing as the M Night Shift. We we're just going to watch every M Night Shyamalan movies in chronological order and talk about them, and then we did that. And took a little break and then started going through all of Coppola's movies, deciding we're going to go pick a director, watch all their movies, just like we used to do uh, every Wednesday afternoon at Vulcan Video. (laughs) Uh, And M. Night Shyamalan has gifted the world with uh, a new movie, Old. Old. And uh, it came out this summer, I believe. Yeah. In theaters. But we waited till the month of Shocktober to dive into it. We just felt yes. it was fitting that this was... Because we are currently doing Coppola, but we're taking a little break. And I think it's great to do it in the spookiest of movie months. So, The most fun of, of months. You can watch horror movies whenever you want. Any time of year. But they're just more fun to watch... During October, or as we call it, Shocktober. <laughs> it's like Christmas movies. You can watch Christmas movie in March or July or August, whenever. But it's not as fun unless it's not in as December. Fun. Yeah, unless it's in December or at least, you know, after the Thanksgiving Day parade. And I don't know about you, but I follow strict Shocktober rules. Uh, I don't watch anything other than Shocktober movies. Um, it's just it's just a tradition from carried over from Vulcan Video days where we made sure the employees were only allowed to watch horror movies in the store, and that's it for a whole month. Some people tried to push it as far as they could into something that wasn't quite horror, and if they didn't have a good explanation as to why it would count, I would just instantly eject it from the DVD player or VCR. So I love about and make them put a. It's mandatory. That's what I like about it. It's Shocktober, and it's Shocktober is what you make it. If you have a strong enough case for it, then it's a Shocktober movie. Maybe not a horror movie, but So I Married an Axe Murderer is definitely a Shocktober movie. Totally counts. That totally counts. And Old totally counts. Uh, I think if this was any other year, if this was uh, Glass, that to me would not count as a Shocktober movie. It's a superhero movie, or it's a drama, or I don't even know what you call it. But old is Shyamalan returning back to what made him famous, his own version of a horror film. Uh, but before we get into it, uh, we are all bringing back th- also the tradition of drinking scotch when we talk about M. Night Shyamalan movies. Because we, a couple of course, we've been going into his wines. But when we did the M. Night Shift 100 years ago, we paired it with a new scotch every episode. So what did you pick for us today? This is really good. So, uh, indeed, it is. I decided, since we're going back to our roots, just like Shyamalan went back to his horror roots, and also family drama roots, <laughs> uh, we're going to go scotch. I want to get something special. Since we're watching old, I thought I should get an aged scotch, which are very expensive. 
They're on the <laughs> shelf that I don't buy scotch from. Uh, but I did find not one inexpensive bottle, but two affordable bottles, little like flask-sized bottles of Chivas Regal, aged 12 years, blended scotch whiskey. I believe we have sampled this before. That seems right. I don't know if it was the 12 year or not, but I, we definitely tried this company or brand or whatever you want to call and it. And Chivas Regal is, uh, they're really fancy. And there's ooh, a series on Netflix about like manor houses or something. Anyway, it's made, it's distilled at an old manor house. I don't know if it's the house uh, from Downton Abbey or the house from the movie The Duchess. <laughs> uh, but one of those places makes their own <laughs> makes their own scotch, and oh, wow. it's Chivas Regal, so you know it's a fancy, and it is really good. It is really you can tell. That's the thing about there's like wines and stuff. I don't quite notice the difference between a cheap one and a fancy one often. But with scotch, you really I feel notice when it's yeah. like an aged one or it, it, like it, it the quality is there. And this is fantastic. It has that and it, kind of smoky note that you want. There are these little mm. like pops on the tongue, like the way like a uh, pepper pops on your tongue in a good way in, in a spicy dish. But it's not spicy. It's just like little yeah. flavor bursts on your tongue. And this is blended scotch, not single malt. Single malt is like fancier, you know, and it takes, uh, well, it's just more expensive. Mm-hmm. And blended is your your usual like Johnny Walker Red is blended, but then you like move up a tier. You move up a shelf to the single malts. <laughs> and there's some affordable single malts, not many. McClellan is a good brand for Very that. Very good, yeah. Uh, McClellan Isla is my favorite. Mm. Uh, but this blended scotch is really good. It's as good as the, the single malts that I have had. Yeah, I don't usually buy scotch, uh, you know, because it's too fancy. And honestly, I don't think maybe I've had scotch since... The last Chevrolet. Did we pull scotch up for when we did glass two years ago or three years ago, whatever that was? I honestly don't remember. I don't remember because we are old, just like this movie. Um, fun fact, this pairs well with candy corn, which we have brought out for Shocktober. We're snacking on candy corn here. It pairs well with the scotch. I don't know about you, but every Shocktober, I need to have candy corn. It's the only time of year I eat candy corn, and I love it. It's just sugar, but something about it is special. Yeah, that spring candy corn, the Valentine, the pink candy corn at Valentine's Day, like, no, no. <laughs> um, it, it's like the opposite of horror movies. Like, you only want to have candy corn during <laughs> October or the, maybe the last couple of weeks of September when they start putting it on the shelves. <laughs> That's when I got this candy corn. I got this is from Bucky's. This is Bucky's candy corn. Oh, okay. I, uh, yeah. It tastes it tastes good. Yeah. Have you had bad candy corn? Is that even a thing? Is it the same had, ingredients for all candy well, corn? Well, I've had candy corn made with real honey. Oh, wow. And that is just too sweet. It's wow. like, <laughs> I mean, it's like kind of like putting like straight honey, you know, right on your tongue. Like some of it's good, but, you know, you, you eat a handful of candy corn at a time. <laughs> and so it's just too much. I have I have a dish that is full of candy corn from late September until <laughs> Halloween. And do you take a candy break for November before you get into Christmas candy? Do you take a candy month hiatus? Uh, yeah, I mean the candy I haven't killed off on Halloween. <laughs> you know, I'll like parse that out through, through November. November. Oh yeah, all the leftover candy, leftover yeah. candies from Halloween that the trick or treaters don't get. Here to tell you how the world is wrong. 
dog time. The paper boy. Mordecai. After last season. The World is Wrong is an extremely positive podcast where Andros Jones and Brian Connolly champion films the world is wrong about. Available on Paperhouse Network wherever you get your podcasts. <laughs> All right, so whose turn is it to do plot? Who did the plot? Our last episode was uh, Gardens of Stone. I feel like you did the plot. I think that. I did, so I think you get to do the much easier plot yet again. For old, like this is such an easy <laughs> plot to recap. It's not fair, but you know what? That's just where it is. Just where it's happening. So, so I'm gonna give just the general outline, and then we'll break it down. Oh, and uh, needless to say, we are gonna spoil the heck out of this movie. It's an M Night Shyamalan movie. It's you know, just watch it first because we were going to ruin it for you. They're we are also going to spoil the heck out of previous M Night Shyamalan yeah. movies. We'll have to bring so, up Sixth Sense, Glass. Yeah, all these things. So just you know, if if none of these are familiar, watch the movies. Go back, listen to our old episodes, then come back. It's it's impossible to talk about his movies without totally ruining them, since he's also the king of the twist endings. So you just have to be able to unpack it, and that's what we're going to do. So, Old is about a family, uh, husband and wife, or Guy and Prisca, played by Gael Garcia Bernal and Vicky uh, Kripes, or Cripps. Uh, their kids are Trent and Maddox, and it's a tropical resort town. There's problems between... The husband and wife, they like talk about like a separation, but then also uh, uh, the wife, uh, Prisca, has a medical condition that she doesn't want the kids to know about. And the hotel owner, one day at breakfast, recommends that they all go to this private beach that's in the nature preserve part of the island. And, you know, it's exclusive and a special bus will take them there. They go to the nature preserve. There's also a British family. Rufus Sewell is the husband in that family and the, they go to the beach there's already a guy on the beach mid-sized sedan is his name <laughs> I think he's supposed to be a famous musician Yeah, I think is what they said in the movie and he's just sitting in the back like spaced out and they're just there on the beach uh, Rufus Sewell is real cantankerous with everyone and then more people show up, uh, Ken Lung and Nikki Amuka Bird uh, as his wife, they show up. And we already know that his wife is epileptic and that Ken Lung is a nurse. Uh, strange things start happening. A body washes up on shore and it was the girl that was out with mid-sized Dan the previous night or earlier that day. And so they cover up the body and then a couple hours later, the body's totally decomposed and it's just bones. And then the kid, uh, the boy, starts complaining that his bathing suit is too tight. Cut away, cut back, and now the six-year-old boy is like 15 and the 11-year-old girl is older. And the daughter of the British family, she's older. She's about the, the boy's age. And everyone starts getting old. Wait a minute. <laughs> it's old beach. It's uh, uh, 
Not <laughs> Benjamin Button Beach. It's regular life beach, but sped up. <laughs> but this movie is like if you were to rewind The Curious Case of Benjamin Button. <laughs> or, to drop a movie we always talk about, if you fast-forwarded through The Irishman. Yeah. That's there, the it, same yes. experience of watching this movie. The aging technology at work here. <laughs> Not as... Uh, well, actually, it's better than some scenes of The Irishman, I gotta say. Uh, and... There's a lot of scenes of them just talking to each other, trying to reason it out, what do they do, how they get off the beach. They can't get off the beach because every time they try, things get all wonky and they black out and end up just back on the beach. And slowly people try to, Ken Long tries to swim out. He passes out and drowns. Uh, his wife has an epileptic seizure and dies. Uh, the teenage daughter of the British family tries to climb up and she passes out and dies. Uh, they have to poison Rufus Sewell because he goes mad. Yep. He has... Well, at first I thought he had island madness or something because he gets on that beach and just goes crazy. But it turns out he probably has dementia. And this... They all have medical problems. Uh, so there was the wife, uh, Prisca, with her benign tumor which actually turns out to be kind of malignant and they have to perform surgery with a pocket knife and they take out her tumor which grows super fast and it's just like the size of an egg and by the time they get it out it's the size of a cantaloupe and it's you only see it for a second but it's gross um yeah rufus sewell has dementia his wife or the schizophrenia. Don't they say at the end, like, oh, we shouldn't put the people with right. schizophrenia or mental illness with the people with physical ailments? Right, schizophrenia. Yeah. His wife has a problem with her bones, and she's also very... Cal- uh, calcium deficiency. A calcium deficiency. Yeah. She's also very, like, self-conscious. She's very thin and uh, very, very pretty, probably an Instagram person. They didn't really <laughs> go into that, into her backstory, but I imagine she has, a, has an Instagram account. <laughs> and so she like is horrified by the hideousness of herself and her uh, her her crook back because I'm because I read too much Shakespeare <laughs> the the curve in her spine and she starts to see herself as a monster and there's a scene where the kids come across her in a cave and she's like don't look at me <laughs> it's really good that part's really good they uh, everyone dies the parents they die of old age natural causes as natural as it gets on this beach the kids figure out that there's something with the coral around the beach Mm -hmm. there's a the boy finds a note in his pocket that's written in code from the uh boy at the resort the son of the resort manager yeah or whatever who they became friends when they were at the resort yeah and they little secret code pen pal thing going on decode the note and it says my uncle doesn't like the coral and they're like well maybe it's something with the coral and so they swim out to the coral and then uh it looks like they're not going to make it and then cut to (laughs) a twist maybe definitely sort of i mean they kind of already alluded that something was going on, so it's not... That something was watching them. They could tell there was a camera up on the ridge yeah. watching them. And it turns out that this resort is a secret pharmaceutical company that uh, will fast-track their, uh, their possible cures for diseases. So they know, right, they have someone with epilepsy coming in so they can try out their epilepsy. And instead of doing, like, 
you know, years, decades long trials in real life, they can just watch the effects over the course of a day yeah. in the beach. Uh, also killing these people, but it's for the greater good of <laughs> mankind and all that stuff that I guess they have a speech every time one of these groups dies. <laughs> and then the, the hotel director's like, let me remind you why we're all doing this. And they're like, we know. We do this literally this every day. Every day yeah. we send a that, group of people to the island. They get old. They die. We find out which <laughs> treatment works. And they're like, this time, you know, like, tell them, like, scientist guy. He's like, the epileptic woman didn't have a seizure for, like, you know, however many hours. That's the equivalent of 16 years. Like, we cured her epilepsy. And then, you know, round of applause, they cured epilepsy. Which, I mean, for 16 years, you know, and then I guess you need another shot. Or Yeah, but still pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then, but the kids, they made it. And since it's the same, it's the next day, right? But they're now aged like 50-ish. Mm-hmm. But the boy remembers everyone that's at the beach because his thing is he would ask everyone what their name was and what their occupation was. And then he would never forget. And there was a cop on the beach. And so he tells the cop everything. And they tell everyone really loud, drawing attention to themselves. Yeah. So all the regular resort people are listening to what Phones they're saying. Phones out, filming Phones it. Out. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, the, the jig is up and the cops come in and arrest everyone. And the final scene is the now 50-year-old-ish kids in a helicopter with the cop. And they're like... Yeah, the cops like we arrested everyone and <laughs> they're shutting it down and yeah, no. and you made it off old beach, <laughs> old beach. <laughs> the end. The end. <laughs> this movie definitely plays out like it feels very much like a Twilight Zone episode. Yes, it, it absolutely does. It has that feel of like those Twilight Zone episodes where a bunch of people get together. There's something weird going on. They're trying to figure it out. They all start fighting with each other. It's it, it definitely and then in the, the end twist of it being some sort of experiment. It's very much like what's that one with the neighborhood where all the people in the neighborhood. The monsters are due on Maple yes, Street. Yes, it's very, it reminded one me of, of the best. Reminded me of that. Uh, we're gonna spoil. I'm gonna spoil that one. So if you haven't seen it, pause this, watch that. It's great. One of the best episodes. But that episode, Paramount Plus, subscribe <laughs> and watch it. But that episode's a bunch of people in the neighborhood. Weird things are happening. They Lights kind of, turn on and off. No one can leave their block for some reason. Yeah, and they all kind of turn on each other and go crazy and kill each other. And then in the very end, the camera goes back and shows these two people watching. And it turns out they're like aliens. And this is what they're doing. They're going from all these neighborhoods around just testing people, treating them like lab wraps, just seeing how quickly they can all turn on each other and go crazy just by... Turning the electricity off or just doing a few minor things just to kind of cause mass hysteria. Yeah, one uh, says to the other, like, are you like, but it worked just on this street. Are you sure it'll work like <laughs> in other places? And the lead Martian or whoever says, like, don't worry, there are Maple Streets all over the world. Dun, dun, dun. And <laughs> so this very much is a you know 100 minute version of a Twilight Zone episode. Uh, I don't know about you, but I really liked this movie. I thought it totally worked. I liked it. I liked it. I thought I started out really liking this movie. I thought this movie was great for like the first the first act, basically. Even when they started, weird stuff started happening on the beach, and then 
my reaction went from like great to good and then wait a minute I think you're losing me no way you got me back <laughs> this is a good movie it is I think this is good my, my thumb is up my <laughs> stars are out dare I say this is my favorite Shyamalan movie since Signs I think this is the best movie he's made since Signs uh, it even makes me kind of want to revisit The Happening which I if you listen to that episode I do not like but I feel like what he's trying to do here really works. Like he's clearly trying to do an, a, a thing that's very much like a B movie, very much like an old style sci-fi movie kind of plot, but done effectively and very aware that it's ridiculous and very aware that it's kind of crazy, but having fun with it. But at the same time, there is emotion because the actors are so good. And I think it's a very good tight script. And I think he really succeeds. It may be what he failed at with the happening. Maybe what we thought was bad was intentionally campy and it just didn't work. But here it seems like he's having a good time knowing that this is like a crazy idea. And and all the actors really sell it and they really go with it. And I found it totally effective and I thought it totally worked. Um, I yeah. think I, I, I agree. I agree. <laughs> Like, saying that this is the best Shyamalan movie since Signs, at first seems like it's a bold statement, but then when you think about what came between Signs <laughs> and now, I think that might be accurate. No, I really liked this a lot. I was shocked. I really was going and being like, is this going to be silly? Because I really didn't know anyone who saw this movie. It can, and it was in uh, theaters so quickly, as all movies are these days. Um, but no, it, it was like, I was surprised at how much I really liked this movie. This movie does feel like my first reaction was like, yes, this is like a Twilight Zone, a classic Twilight Zone episode. And my second reaction was, this is like the happening take two. It's like Shyamalan <laughs> learned, you know, like he finally, you know, admitted that the happening didn't work, dissected it to figure out what didn't work and why. And then I'm going to try it again. I'm going to try these things because in there a lot of this movie is people standing around talking trying to figure out what's happening to them which is exactly what happens in Twilight Zone episodes they were basically like plays <laughs> they were just people in a room and then like oh no a weird thing happened outside you don't see the weird thing but and then like... they talk about it for 20 minutes and then at the end Rod Serling comes out and tells you the moral of the story and it's somehow the greatest thing the greatest thing you've seen and you're like how is this but it's so basic how is it how is this like so well, so well executed. <laughs> and there's literally a scene, like smack dab in the Mills movie, where all the characters stay in a circle, and they're all basically asking every single question that any viewer would have, trying to figure out and explain why this this uh, beach is doing what it's doing. Like they yeah. kind of go through every little thing of like we waltz because of this, and we went through this thing, and this didn't work, and probably because of this thing. And it's just like they're just covering their ground to make sure that any question that anyone has as to why it's happening or why it's not working or why it's working is answered in like one five minute scene where all the characters literally stay in a circle and just pontificate on the plot of this movie. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, it's um. It, I was really reminded of the scene in the happening, where they're out in the field in groups and they break up into groups and one group just starts like shooting themselves with a gun and Mark Wahlberg is trying to reason out what's happening and come up with a hypothesis. Yeah, there's a scene like that in this movie, but it works a whole lot better. And I think this movie is better cast than the happening. 
Well, yeah, Mark Wahlberg is what a math teacher. Or yeah, he's teacher. a math teacher. Yeah, that's bad casting right off the bat. Yeah, Gael Garcia Bernal is like an average dad. He plays an actuary, I believe, is what yeah. he said, and I totally can believe that. And the way he jokes with the kids at the beginning of the movie feels very like a believable dad. He does some joke of like, "Oh, the pamphlet says kids aren't allowed on the beach." Oh well, I guess no kids allowed. Oh, it's a no kids week, and it's just such a lame dad joke. But I feel like that's totally uh, Shyamalan pulling from experience of being a dad himself. And yeah. you know, if something happens when you have children, uh, your jokes become really lame. It just happens to all dads for whatever reason. Yeah, <laughs> they they don't stop joking, but their jokes become really silly and stupid. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of emotion in this movie. Basically between Gael Garcia Bernal and and Vicky Vicky Creep Crips. I haven't heard her name pronounced out loud. It's K R I E P S. So I'm just gonna <laughs> I don't wanna say creeps. That's it's doesn't sound cripes? right. Cripes? Let's say cripes. And I apologize because <laughs> I know she's listening. <laughs> or there's someone with that name who is furious right now. It's like it's creeps. It's jerk. okay. I don't pronounce my own name correctly. <laughs> what? How do you not do? Well, it? there's accents on. There's supposed uh, to be accents yeah. like Gonzalez. <laughs> you know, you have to start to sing the end of it. Gonzalez. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, working through their marital problems, and these are like kind of like the slow moments in the movie. But I'm invested in their performances, and the slow moments are few and far between because like this movie really moves fast. I think it kind of has to because it cover has to cover all these people aging rapidly, so there really isn't any downtime because every half hour these people get older. And so yeah, they the, figure the, out that in a day they will have aged 50, 50 years. years. So it has to cover a lot of ground. And thankfully, this is not a Marvel movie, so it's not three and a half hours long. It's only 104 minutes long. And like the plot, like they end up, they get to the beach pretty quickly, and things happen pretty quickly. It's not like there's a lot of time on the beach hanging. It really is like literally they're on the beach, and then two minutes later, shit goes crazy, <laughs> and then it doesn't stop. And there's there's parts in the movie. Where someone being like, oh my god, there's a problem, and they do a problem, and then immediately someone goes, oh my god, there's another problem, and there's a lot of people like running back and forth <laughs> on this beach from one problem to the next because, you know, old people are going to die quickly, and then other people's health problems are going to be sped up, and so it's like, it's a constant, it's a con- and so even the emotions, it has to be kind of sped up, and I think he handles it really well in this movie, it's like, it is really sad when characters die and when the other family members have to deal with it, even though it's moving really fast. Like in a normal movie, you would kind of build this relationship longer or you would know that someone was sick longer. But this, like, it really is like all of a sudden someone's older and they die and the family has to just de- have a quick dealing with it and then move on to the next problem because they themselves are going through something. And so it's just like really a crazy juggling act that he somehow pulls off with this movie. Yeah, he's very... He's back to his deliberate style of filmmaking, like a called Signs and The Sixth Sense and Unbreakable. Yeah. And even The Village Deliberate. Like, he knows what he wants exactly, and you can tell that that's what he shot, and that's what he got, and it's put together the way he wants. Mm-hmm. And this, like, sure, it's a... You know, it's on the campy... It's not campy. But it's definitely campier than, say, The Sixth Sense or Signs. 
but it uh, like it, it's done with uh, it's done with sincerity. Yeah. So like he takes the material seriously, and the the actors they, they take the material seriously, so that you can have fun with it. You know. Yeah. And the if... movie doesn't take itself seriously, <laughs> but the people behind it do. So the movie can have fun, and you can have fun. Yeah. There's no part of the movie that feels dopey. Like what they're dealing with is crazy, and there's certain lines that people say that sound ludicrous, and I'm sure on paper read like this is a crazy line, but. Because it's done so, yeah, seriously, it just, it's, you just go with it, and it works. Uh, it's worth noting, too, this is based on a French graphic novel called Sandcastle. I'd be interested in reading that, because I wonder like what he added and what he kept from the graphic novel. Before we jumped on, on Mike, I did look up a like differences between the script and the movie. If you want to know about that now, let's 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 hear about it. Okay. I'm curious so, as to what was the difference. Uh, in the the novel, the graphic novel, it's just on a random beach in France. The uh, there's maybe a, some difference between the makeup of characters there, but they uh, the big difference is the pharmaceutical company at the end. Like they think that maybe someone is there watching them. They are trapped on the beach. They can't get off. Uh, they think that there's someone there watching them. They speculate that, that maybe it's part of an experiment, but you never find out why. Mm. And then at the end, the baby, I forgot that there was a baby born <laughs> in the movie. Uh, yeah, the son of Gael Garcia Bernal and the daughter of Rufus Sewell have a baby together, and it's born in like, you know, five minutes. Because time is moving so fast, and then the baby dies after only like one minute. The Ken Lung speculates because it just couldn't take the intensity of rapidly aging or the magnetism going yeah. on there. In the comic, that baby grows up, and it ends with just the ba- baby now a full-grown person making a sandcastle on on the beach, mm. and so you never find out what exactly is going on or why. Or what if the, who was who was spying on them? Here, it's Shyamalan spying on them. <laughs> Spoiler so that, twist: which Shyamalan is, is in br- this movie again. Just brilliant, and it's like because of it, if initially he's there as the shuttle driver to take him to the beach, but the fact I think it's great that like who is the person looking at them through a telescope, watching all the suffering, but the film's director, if not. A better metaphor, I can't think of one, for just being this director as voyeur, uh, watching this human suffering through a lens, is the film's actual director. I think that's hilarious. I think that's great. That's so great. That moment is so, that's so fun. It's good casting. (laughs) It's it's a bigger role than The Sixth Sense, a bigger role than Signs. Not as big a role as Lady in the Water. He has like two or three scenes. He's like, I think he's cued in to his own limitations as an actor. He's like, okay, I'm going to show up and it's going to be kind of goofy. <laughs> and, uh, and distracting because you're like, oh, it's M. Night. Yeah, like we all like <laughs> we know you so well at this point that it's not exciting anymore. It's not like, oh, hey, hey. That guy that Bruce Willis just talked to, that's the director. Like, we all know. So when he shows up, like, oh, hey, hey, it's him again. Like, all right, bye. Nick, you're still here? Okay. 
But now he's like, you're still here? Like, yeah, but I'm, I'm about to leave. Don't worry. You'll like it. And then he does, and it's fine. So, yeah, this is a, it's an appropriate amount of Shyamalan <laughs> The right Shyamalan amount. Cameo. The right amount. It's in pivotal to plot, which is important. Uh, rare, rarely do director cameos really work. We were talking before we recorded about Tarantino kind of being a great filmmaker, but maybe not the finest of actors, but yet... Consistently putting himself in his own movies. And that's, like, like I said, like, at first, like, with Reservoir Dogs, who who even knew in 1989 or whatever, you know? Like, oh, that guy that was in, like, Mr. Brown was Tarantino. Or and then in Pulp Fiction, like, yeah, it's a good size role, but, you know, he's not, like, the main character of uh, the, the bunny situation. Mm-hmm. And it's like fun, like oh, you know, that was that was the director, yeah. And then yeah, he like showed up more, showed up in other movies, and you're like, well, he just plays like himself. And then <laughs> like he shows up in Django Unchained, and you're like, why? <laughs> that terrible Australian accent. Yeah, and you're doing an Australian accent? What? Or his uh, his intrusive. Uh, voiceover in the Hateful Eight, <laughs> which comes out of nowhere, just like I gotta get myself in the movie somehow. Who is there a director that gives himself cam- or herself cameos that is actually great at acting and actually is heightens the movie or is like, oh, this is exciting. I'm not annoyed by this. I don't know because like Hitchcock never spoke no, in he his was cameos. Literally, just like sometimes in the background, I would walk across like his a, uh, his cameo in Psycho is like he's standing in the background through a window yeah, and you have to like pause the film and use a magnifying glass to see that it's him um, I like uh, Scorsese is good in Taxi Driver that scene where he's in the back of the car talking about wanting to kill his wife that's a great scene that's a good scene and I, I heard the rumor that he's in it because an actor didn't show up or something happened so he was just like I'll just do it I'll just do it I heard that <laughs> rumor as well I mean and he's really I'll good. believe him I guess he's like, really good um, uh, there's like I don't count people who already were actors like Orson Welles you know or you know Robert Redford or people who direct themselves in movies um, like Woody Allen or whatever Richard Linklater like, at the end of Waking Life yeah, has maybe the most directory cameo, <laughs> where it's like you know just a series of vignettes, and Wiley Wiggins is trapped in a dream, and then he asks Linklater, "How do I get out of this dream? I can't wake up." And then Linklater tells him this really long story that has nothing to do with anything, and then Wiley Wiggins says, "Like, but okay, but how do I wake up?" And he says, "Oh, well, that's that's easy. You just wake up." And then Wiley Wiggins wakes up, and then he wakes up again because he's trapped in the dream forever. <laughs> uh, Steven Soderbergh's good in Schizopolis. I've never seen that one. It's great, and like he—he's never even done cameos in his movies, but that movie he's the star of, and it totally works. And he's totally for a non-actor, very good and very funny. I think that's the only one I can. I'm trying to think of like if people who, yeah, directors that put themselves in there's things. Truffaut, Truffaut and Day for Night. Yeah, and he's really good in Close Encounters of the Third Kind. So he yeah. was a good actor. There you go. He yeah, he gave himself a two, good actor. He gave himself two full movies, The Wild Child and The Green Room, aka The Vanishing Room or The Vanishing Man. The Vanishing Man Green Room, it's hard to find. It's not great. Um, he's okay in it. Same like Wild Child is 
the better film. He's also fine in it. But yeah, yeah, I think Truffaut and Day for Night might be. Oh, you know who's good? Sam Raimi is good in all of the things he shows up in. It's really re- few and far between. His cameo in Hutzucker Proxy as the guy coming up with the names for the hula hoop oh. is really good. You only see his silhouette. He's really good in Thou Shall Not Kill Except as basically like a Charles Manson. He's very good in that. Uh, he's really good in um, oh, Indian Summer, that sort of like big chill camping. Remember that movie? <laughs> yeah, I remember the title. I've never seen it. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, he's he's a pretty decent actor. Like he's the laughing gunman in Miller's Crossing. Just shows up and laughs. Doesn't have any lines. Okay. He laughs. I, shoots I know. A gun. I first, so, my first reaction to seeing him his cameos is that Ted Raimi looks really haggard. <laughs> <laughs> really, I always thought that Sam Raimi was the more handsome one. Than I know, ladies would disagree. Like a lot of ladies love Ted Raimi. I think they're both like goofy looking dudes, but. I mean, they, they look, there's no mistaking that those two people are, like, have the same DNA, that they are <laughs> brothers. Just to me, one looks a little bit tired because he's a little bit older. I guess Dario Gento is the star of the new Gaspar Noe movie, which is two and a half hours long. I wonder... Oh, that's a string of what words. What that's I, like. <laughs> I'm not sure I want to investigate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what is that going to be like? I don't know. I'm intrigued. But anyways, we, we digress from <laughs> old. So this was also, this was Shyamalan's COVID movie. Like, he made this during COVID. Uh, they filmed it uh, in a socially distanced. Uh, I think the beach was originally going to be bigger and maybe even have more people on it or something. But they went to a more like alcovey sort of private beach. It's a very small um, beach, a very small setting. But I believe they shot the summer of 2020, and he uh, rightfully brags about nobody got sick while making this movie, which means they did a great job of yeah. mask wearing, social I mean, distancing. This was pre-vaccinations, and uh, oh, somehow they were able to all come out okay. Yeah, I mean, try as he might, Tom Cruise couldn't keep. Mission Impossible Seven from not getting <laughs> not getting COVID, but you know we don't have a great audio clip of Shyamalan yelling at his cast and crew for breaking the COVID rules. But that, we thankfully have that with Mr. Tom Cruise. That clip, <laughs> you know, happening when it did December, like things are looking bad. <laughs> you know, there's no vaccine yet, or it's it, like the vaccine's on the way, but only politicians are going to get it first. And every manager of anything at that time heard that and said, thank you, Tom Cruise. You were saying what we were all thinking. Yeah. As we're all trying to make sure that everyone follows the rules and does everything and the people don't. And you just want to scream and yell at them. And his <laughs> whole thing of just like, I'm trying to keep your jobs. And like, this is like, I'm, he's right. I don't, I don't hate Tom Cruise for that rant. I think he's no. totally in the right on that no, one. No, it's, totally, it's uh, a fun <laughs> rant, but it, yeah, it's not like... A, <laughs> You know, Christian Bale yelling. <laughs> yeah, because he can see, you know, a grip in the background or whatever. Like, dude, you're you're playing pretend. Come on. Like, <laughs> you're in a terrible robot sequel. It's fine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but but uh, this was he made it during COVID, and in a way, and it, it just there's a there's certain things about it that kind of feel very much of the COVID era, which it sure is unintentional because this was written. 
before that, they didn't know when they, you know, everyone knows movies take a while to get made. That in pre-production and when they had the script, they didn't know we're going to have a major pandemic. And just the whole idea of people trapped in a space that they can't leave and time kind of going by uh, and you're just getting older and you're just kind of hanging out is very much sort of what quarantine felt like in a way of just like we're all stuck at home. We're all getting two years older. Uh, and then in a way it is like old where you run into people you haven't seen in two years and all of a sudden like, oh, you're a little heavier. Oh, you look a little older. Oh, you're a little grayer. Because we all aged two years but didn't see each other other than maybe a crappy like Skype video where you can't really tell what people look like. So in a way this movie kind of taps into that. And I can see this totally being a movie that maybe people would look back on later being like, oh, this was a, the COVID movie. This was filming. Like it's kind of... Even like not even counting just the part about pharmaceutical companies or whatever, which you could tie into it, but like I think just yeah, just the idea of time passing quickly, but everyone getting older, uh, really kind of feels like a good, interesting mirror to what we've all been going through. It really does. Like that beach being so like small, and there's no way out, and thinking like there but there has to be a way out and the there's two things you can do either spend all your time trying to find a way out work and find your way out or just like accept it and then but then you just have like then you can just like think about like your, your life and stuff that's what the parents do mm-hmm. and the kids they keep working on uh, trying to find a way out mm-hmm. here's a question why doesn't the food go bad quickly hmm maybe because well because they say that it's living cells age fast that's why their hair and fingernails don't grow but wouldn't there be like in a fruit or vegetable even if picked because huh, yeah. like fruit and vegetables like decompose and go bad oh right yeah there's so. this thing about how like <laughs> like strawberries like fruit never act, really dies because it's like it's alive on the tree and then it's still technically alive but then it turns and it dies but it turns into a mold and mold <laughs> is a living thing but like there's a part where one of the kids now way older starts just like going crazy on some like pasta salad or something and okay a noodle wouldn't is not a living thing <laughs> But I would just imagine there was other food that they had that would just go bad, uh, but they don't really talk about it. I just want to know about the food when I watch this movie. I'm worried about like what's going on with their fruits and vegetables. Uh, and also, they didn't quite get people – what's great is when the people get older, especially the kids, they kind of go through the things that people go through but more sped up. In oh, terms I, of like, I love this because they mature – they mentally mature yeah. along with their bodies. Maybe not emotionally because there's some fun scenes of like – the teenage boy, teenage Trent, being like a teenager and telling his parents that you know he's in love with Kara, uh, with the uh, the the British girl, and we're gonna get married, and we're never gonna fight, and and we're never gonna get divorced. But yeah, they age mentally, so they are not like uh, you know little six year old trapped in a big body. They're they're uh, they're. They're more mature, so there's like they're teenagers. They're acting like teenagers. They're they're sex- sexually, you know, active. Trent, as a teenager, and let me make sure I'm getting her name right. Uh, yeah, Kara, played by Eliza Scanlon, at age fifteen, a teenager. There's a scene. I think I thought it was well shot. They're laying down in a tent together, and it's over the shoulder. But since they're laying down, all you only see like the eye of one person whenever the camera 
does its back and forth. And they're having this pretty like emotional uh, teen moment, you know, about like what's going on, but then like, you know, life and stuff. And then cut back to the parents and they're arguing, trying to figure out what happens. And then they emerge from the tent and she is fully like... <laughs> Like seven months pregnant. Yeah, fully like seven months pregnant. <laughs> now what's going on? You knew what happened. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was really crazy. <laughs> but I, I liked how they. I, I didn't expect this movie to kind of go. Like it was really smart how it wasn't just people getting old, but it was sped up diseases, sped up mental stuff. Like they really did a good job of like covering sort of like what would it really actually be like if all of a sudden you were just aging rapidly. Yeah, Giles. It's Garcia not just Bernal's, your body falling apart and getting his, wrinkly. Um, when he, he reaches a certain point where his vision just blurs and everything is in soft focus for him and that's physical but then after that he like turns to to Vicky Cripes and says like what were we arguing about I don't even care whatever it was <laughs> you know like his, his mind is now going he's like in the final like final years final minutes of his life they did drop the ball on accurately portraying old people of them being obsessed with the food they ate out and being scared of immigrants <laughs> that's too bad they didn't tap into that with everybody getting old and all of a sudden just becoming horribly racist and wanting to watch Fox News on every corner of the beach and also just telling me about everything that they ate there was no point yeah <laughs> There's no point where they're like, what was that show I like? <laughs> it's Two and a Half Men. It's Two and a Half Men. No, no, no. That's not it. It's the one with <laughs> with Martin Sheen's boy. Yeah, that's Two and a Half Men. No, that's no, no, men. no, no, no. There was that, that, that nerdy boy, <laughs> Duckface. What's his name? <laughs> two and a Half Men. Uh, no, no, half no, men. no, no, no. That's not it. Like, there's no... At some point, minor digression, like, as you get older... Some point you become like your parents become either George Costanza's parents or Jerry Seinfeld's parents, <laughs> and conversations you have with them are like that. It's mad name. It's like Dad, Jerry and Elaine were out the other day. They saw you with a man with a cape. They saw me. They didn't say hello. But Dad, the the man with the cape. Elaine, I could see not saying hello. I don't like her. But how could Jerry not say hello? Dad, the man with the cape. Uh, I really, really liked the part where Rufus Sewell keeps asking about the Missouri breaks for some reason. That's it. So, yeah, bringing up, like... They can't remember movies, but Rufus Sewell being like, yes, yeah, schizophrenic. And you're not exactly sure if he like had schizophrenia, like early stages, or if he was like into it and he like wasn't, maybe he wasn't an accredited doctor uh, yeah. at the beginning of the movie. Yeah. Because he, he had like some slip ups mm -hmm. uh, and then they happen more and more when they're on the beach. But yeah, he's like trying to do the the surgery with the pocket knife and then he's like wait a minute what's the name of that movie with Jack Nicholson and Marlon Brando and they're like Fuck it, like, come on come on and Ken Long takes over <laughs> wonder why that movie why is that the movie that he keeps asking about is yeah. the Missouri Breaks is an I was trying choice. to figure it out I, I uh, yeah I could not remember the name of that I remember it because we recently or I guess a few months ago did an episode on that on my other podcast The World is Wrong I wasn't in that episode but uh, they talk about the Missouri Breaks. Check it out. Plug. 
Um, <laughs> yeah, Rufus Sewell also is the, the the racist character who gets more racist as he goes on. But also, like, he's schizophrenic, so it's hard to tell, like, was he, like, you know, like, a, a dedicated, a committed racist <laughs> at the outset, or was that part of his schizophrenia? Because uh, when they get on the beach and uh, mid-sized sedan, played by Aaron Pierre, is there, like, Rufus Sewell's immediately first suspicious of him, like, he has something to do with it, because, you know, he was here and there's a dead body. But it's, it's like, it's on the racist side of that. And then he just gets more aggressively racist <laughs> as as the film goes on as he gets older uh rufus sewell does does a good job like he uh doesn't really uh go over the top i feel like we're getting like he's fine that guy's finally really really interesting again like he you know there's you can go back as far as dark city and stuff and see him and things where he's, he's always been good but like with this and there's that great episode of uh the marvelous miss Maisel where he plays the artist where he has like the secret painting and he's really, really great in that. And so it's just fun to see him kind of, because now he's like, I think he's got to be in his late 40s, 50s, something and, like that. At and, least. And uh, and he's... He only, Rufus Sewell, really good. Though, um, not a problem being on Old Beach because he kind of only gets better as, as he looks better as he gets older. <laughs> yeah, a- Aging very well, Rufus Sewell is. <laughs> And I really liked the casting. It was fun to see Embeth Davids as the adult Maddox, who you might recall from Schindler's List or Army of Darkness. Oh. Um, but it was nice to see her in a movie. She's great. And I feel like I haven't seen her in a while, and to see her in this was really fun. And Alex Wolf, the kid from uh, Hereditary, he's really good. He's a really good actor. I feel like we're going to see him in more and more great things the older he gets. Um the thing that really excited me from the get-go on this movie, I think this is the first movie Shyamalan shot on 35mm in years because he's been just kind of going digital for a long time, and it shows. And uh, this movie looks great, and it really feels like the way he dire- used to direct movies but stopped. Yeah, it looks really good. Um, like, who's may- the DP in this? Because he had worked with great DPs before, like Christopher Doyle and stuff like that. Uh Tak Fujimoto. This, oh, there are shots that reminded me of Tak Fujimoto. This is shot by Michael Gulakis. I don't know who that is. What else has that man done? Let's take a look. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. He did Us and It Follows. Like, really good looking oh, movies. Oh, It Follows is a beautiful, look, great looking movie. Not scary, overrated, <laughs> maybe. Yeah, it's overrated. Under the like Silver it. Lake. Also, uh, great looking movie and overrated, but it's it's a hard to break down movie, Under the Silver Lake. Yeah. I won't begrudge anyone for liking that movie. Not for me. I would rather watch Lost Highway again than Under the Silver Lake. <laughs> and he was the DP on Glass and Split. Okay. But I think this movie looks way better. But I think the real, the real reason why it looks better and why it's so excited is it feels like the way Shemlin used to direct stuff, where it was really aggressively angled and shot. And the angles in this movie and the framing is so fun and it's so great and it's so weird. And it just reminds you of the way he shot scenes in Unbreakable and in Signs and the way he used in the in the village and the way it was really composed and really stylized. And in this, you have all these crazy shots where you only see sort of like the half of a person's head or face as it's trying to hide that they're aging or aging quickly. Yeah, or like, and it's done really like, well. It's always done with uh, with with the person's 
with their face away like he holds off on showing that the little kids are now teenagers even though when you know from the premise you know from their voices you know from the reactions right mm-hmm. but he's holding off and <laughs> and the more he holds off then it's it's satisfying because reveal it's Alex Wolf. It's a, it's a an average-looking yeah. kid. Yeah. Like it's not. You know, there's no like monster effects yeah. in this movie. But I loved it. It's like there were really aggressive angles in this movie so much that I thought it was the robot cameraman from the boss of it all. But it's not an actual person shot. This movie. But and it has all these great scenes where the camera's moving around. It moves. Like, there's a great part where the kids are playing freeze tag, and the camera's sort of like this kind of roaming roaming around the beach, following them as they play this game of freeze tag, which is really cool. That it's is just, a beautiful moment. The, yeah, when they're playing freeze tag. It's totally silent. I mean, they're like chattering, but yeah, it's one tags. They, they freeze. It starts out with the kid just frozen in the background like well, what spooky thing is happening with him and then someone comes up and tags him and then he runs <laughs> and it that that moment <clears throat> i love it it's just like little human little human moment like he mm-hmm. it feels like 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 it's a stolen shot like it was real life happening and he he happened to catch it on film mm-hmm. uh, like the the scene i mentioned earlier with uh T- teenage Trent with Alex Wolf and teenage uh, teenage Kara Eliza Scanlon uh, laying down talking to each other and it's over the shoulder and you can only see the eye of each other. That's the first scene of them as like uh, as teenager or of her as a teenager. Mm-hmm. And so he's still like holding off on showing us. Yeah. That they are teenagers. We know that they are, but he's still holding off. He's waiting for a reveal. Yeah. You know, for then this reveal of them, they're now older, and also she's like fully pregnant. There's a lot of sweeping shots, overhead shots, because it's a small, he's working with a small space, but he works with it well. It feels like a play, like a Twilight Zone episode, because. When characters aren't needed, they kind of just disappear. <laughs> yeah. Like when uh, when mid-sized sedan isn't needed, then he just goes and sits in the background. And he just sits, <laughs> literally just sits there and does nothing. Waits for his scene to come back. After Rufus Sewell kills him and they take the knife from him, he just like sits in the background and like, okay, well, we're with these people now. Like, where is, where is the other character? Like, well, he's... Getting his fucking costume changed backstage so he can come out like two scenes <laughs> later, okay? Like, don't worry about them. You're looking at these people on stage right now. Yeah, I would love to see a live stage version of you old. Could you could totally do, do it. it. <laughs> it could totally work. And you can have someone go into the shadows and come out, be a different actor, and be older. Actually, that's a really great idea. Um, Shyamalan, get on it. Time to do your th- Do it as a musical, you know? <laughs> yeah. There is no rap. There's no rap that describes the movie at the end of this, but there is a song written by Shyamalan's daughter. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's called Remain, and it's written by his daughter. I'm going to murder her name. Salika? Salika Shyamalan? I think maybe that's how you say it. It's totally good. It totally sounds like a real song, because the character sings the song in the movie, like the daughter sings it when she's a, a little kid, correct? Yeah. And then the mom at the very beginning says, oh, I can't wait to hear your, your voice sing that when you're older. <laughs> hint, hint. Uh, and then you get like, a professional version at the end of the movie. But it's a, it's a good song. Will it be up for an Oscar? Is there 
Probably not, because I feel this movie has been already kind of forgotten about, sadly. I feel like it's kind of... Yeah, which is strange, really because quickly. it was one of the few movies people were excited to see in theaters. People went to theaters and were excited to see. They were excited to go back to theaters, because Delta hadn't really kicked in yet. Um, and there are certain places where you could still go out, even though there was Delta, because uh, they take it more seriously in, in other places than in certain other places. Anywho, <laughs> anywho, like, yeah, that was like, people were like, so excited about this movie. It was like what we thought Tenet would be, you know, like it's going to come in theater, it's going to be in theaters and everyone's going to go out and watch it and we're all going to have a great time and theaters going to be back. But instead, that movie was Fast F9. Yeah. And then after that, boom, uh, old. And it was perfect because it happened in the summer and they're at the beach, like it's like perfect timing for this to be out in theaters. Yeah, I think it did. It wasn't like I don't think it did poorly. Like I think it did a decent amount of money. It's like uh, domestic. It made forty eight million dollars. Like this budget, movie budget who, of eighteen. Is it really? Yeah, that's great. He, you know what? He knows how to make a low budget movie. And like, what's sad is that is considered like a low budget movie by Hollywood standards. But like the fact that you can go make a movie for eighteen million dollars, it looks this good, and like you can make it, you know, in you know crazy circumstances. I guess you're lucky to make a COVID movie on a beach because you can literally have the space to have every actor stand six feet. <laughs> That's probably why the and uh, why the actors not on camera yeah. when stood in She's the like, background. Go over there, it's safe. Like, we don't want to kill you. You'll actor. get your per diem. Don't worry. Just, Just stand in the background there, uh, that far away. Um. Yeah, eighteen. That's great. Like that is. That's great. I'm glad. That's how much a movie should cost. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, it's enough got, money. You got like recognizable actors, but you know, like sure, not big movie stars. I'm like Gar- Gael Garcia Bernal is the top build. I mean, arguably he's the lead, but really it's an ensemble piece. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm I real I'm a big fan of his. Yeah, I really like him in. Anything, I'll watch a movie just because he's in it. Sure, it, you know, through the power of self-delusion, I imagine the story of A.J. Gonzalez will star Gael Garcia Bernal. <laughs> also, I really like... Uh, apologies for the spooky thing that keeps happening, but that's just for atmosphere. <laughs> We're surrounded by Halloween decorations. What can yeah, it's the most wonderful time of the year. <laughs> Uh, hint at my 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 own life. I love it whenever there's a, a an interracial couple, specifically because a, a Hispanic man and and, and a, a a white woman. Because then I see my own situation <laughs> on stage, and they have kids together, and the kids are different colors, and that's great because I have two kids. One is dark complected like me. The other is light complected like her mom. And so I'm like, hey, I recognize that. That's a situation that happens. Yay. Uh, and yeah. I relate to every other movie I ever made because I'm just a straight white man. So I see myself in ev- literally every movie that's ever been made on God's green earth. So. Which it, it's strange because I've been mistaken. I don't know if at Vulcan you were ever mistaken for me. I, I have. No, I totally was. Well, I was mistaken for you. <laughs> we look nothing alike. Yeah. People, you know, what can I say? The people of Austin, they're colorblind. They, yeah. they see no color. <laughs> they just see video store clerk 
Anywho, I, I, you know, just I, as far as like, you know, with all the, 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 the work that is actually being done in regards to representation on film, not yeah. just, uh, not just like, hey, we're gonna put more of one specific race in the movie, but we're gonna just try and show the world as it is and cast the best cast and the best actors for the lead is Gael Garcia Bernal and the best woman for the lead is is Vicky Kripes. And that's who we're going to cast, and we're going to go with it. And there doesn't need to be an explanation for why they're married. (laughs) And this movie does a good job of, of, yeah, really every type of person. Like, you have Asian actors, you have black actors. uh, You can't be ageist in a movie about people getting old, so you have a lot of older actors, (laughs) uh, older actresses, uh, which is great. I feel Shyamalan's always been good at that. I feel he's always been good at having a good mix of people, like, especially in, like... Lady in the Water or um, uh, The Last Airbender. Not great movies, but a great <laughs> varied cast. Yeah, I kind of, I'm excited that he's back doing this kind of movie again. I hope he kind of keeps going with this. I think this is what, to me, this feels like a continuation of what it should have been, ignoring the last 18 years is, of movie. This feels me, like the, the right progression of him as a filmmaker. To me, this uh, is really his comeback. Like, I know yeah. the, the visit was, it was a hit and people liked it and I don't know why, but like, good for him. And then he was making movies with Blumhouse. My expectations going into this, one, I thought this was a Blumhouse movie. So my expectations were I was hoping for a good, bad movie at best. But this is not a Blumhouse movie. And Blumhouse is maybe the best and worst thing to happen for horror in like the last 10 years. More horror movies are getting made, but they're all low-budget PG-13 movies. <laughs> and then a Get Out will get in and be like, ooh, like Get Out. We made Get Out. Like, yeah, but she made the Fantasy Island oh, movie. Ooh. Did you see the Fantasy Island movie? I, I saw the trailer that and I is stopped. A, that is a bad movie. <laughs> it's basically an episode of Lost. It's basically like... Two seasons of Lost thrown into some really terrible, uh, awful movie. Oh, uh, Lindelof or or, <laughs> or Blumhouse. Hmm. So yeah, my I was thinking, but I know people had a positive reaction to this. I didn't look up any reviews or listen to any podcasts about it, but just from hearing people like or hearing in quotes, like seeing tweets, uh, people had about it. It was mostly positive reaction. So I was thinking maybe this was going to be like his Roger Corman movie, right? <laughs> like I've got this simple, cheap premise. One right? set. Yeah, one set. I get like an exotic location. I can bring all the actors here, shoot it like quickly, right? And really play up the premise. And it's probably not going to be as like uh, as like graphic, you know, as, as you would uh, expect. But maybe, maybe I can wow them the way... You know, like uh, the way a young Coppola <laughs> or a young Ron Howard did with with Roger Corman. Like, I'm gonna take what I got, and and I'm gonna deliver this. I'm gonna try to do the artistic version of this. Uh, so, I, yeah, I was expecting like kind of cheesy, but also, but also has some artistic merit to it. But I think this is just a good yeah movie. It's just yeah. Shyamalan working with Universal, and yeah, he's working with other material with the graphic novel. But there's so much of him in it. Uh, like he likes working, doing stories focused on kids. And the kids in this movie are great. That's in there. They're really good. You can tell from Glass that he, you know, he wants to do something with a conspiracy. 
<laughs> and this is the better version of that, something with people trying to reason their way out of a situation. Yeah. And they can. They don't come like they don't come to that conclusion until the very end when there's just a few of them. Like in the happening. <laughs> but he does it again. And and then it works this time. Yeah. No, it really feels like take two and he succeeded. <laughs> Good job, M Knight. You did it. <laughs> I never thought I'd see a day where I really loved a movie by him again. Yeah, I, like I like <laughs> totally. I said, like I was expecting like this would be campy, like but I like it. Yeah, but because yeah, the, like... the poster's kind of campy because the poster is a lady's legs on the beach and one of her feet is like a skeleton. Yeah, and it looks kind of silly. <laughs> so yeah, and to that, the one thing I want to uh, bring up is expecting like a you know a PG thirteen horror movie like an old style Roger Corman movie. I was expecting it to be like an effects heavy, you know, like we're gonna gross you out without showing you blood so we can still get a PG-13 rating. But there's not a lot of that in there. Like nope. it's um, the closest thing to a, a horror setup is the uh, Abby Lee. Oh yeah, like getting her like crystal. bones breaking. Yeah, her bones breaking like she, you know, her calcium deficiency is like you know cranked up to yeah. like you know two years for every 30 minutes or something yeah. and so yeah she gets uh, uh, she gets like a, a, a hunchback and she's in the cave and she breaks her or a rock falls and breaks her arm and then the bone heals so quickly that it's her arm bent all weird. Yeah, it's like yeah. bent all weird that part's upsetting and then she like keeps like trying to attack the and kids it and, <laughs> and it keeps happening and they're lighting Yikes. matches they keep lighting matches yeah and every time they do like more bones are broken and set in weird ways yeah and that's the only real like kind of uh monster you know in quotes like horror horror effect other than that it's all set up and reveal gael garcia bernal doesn't ever no one ever looks like uh when the that that, that nazi drinks from the wrong <laughs> oh, yeah. in, Temple, in last, crusade. last crusade yeah i, I kept yeah. expecting that to happen didn't like, happen no no nothing like that in the movie so if you're horror hesitant, if you're like, I don't like horror movies, I don't want to be grossed out, this is the perfect movie for you. Because there's one upsetting scene. Other than that, it's all suspense. And yeah. it's suspense just because of the weird situation. And he draws out the setup so long and so that when you finally see it, and it's just, oh my god, a teenager. <laughs> it's not disappointing because you knew that was going to happen, so you just want to see it. You just yeah. show me the teenager, and then, oh my god, the little kid's a teenager now. <laughs> yeah, no, i very happy to have watched it. It's a nice little break from Coppola to watch a, a new Shyamalan movie that's actually good. Pleasantly surprised. Yeah, no, and it's uh, fun to be able to go back Uh Back back to season one and kind of, and we'll keep doing it. Every time he makes a new movie, yeah. he had some TV stuff we haven't watched, but you know I'm not paying for Apple Plus. But movies, yeah, and hopefully this is uh, him back making making stuff like this again. I would love it if he went back to making fun horror. I don't yeah, know. this feels like the kind of movie. Again, I'm sorry to go harp on this so much, but like the kind of movie that these early new Hollywood directors in the 60s made for Roger Corman where instead of 
Roger Corman, this time it's Universal, and they're like, yeah, Shyamalan, here's money, give us a movie. And he's like, and then he, it feels like he secretly made a good movie, <laughs> you know? And I think people need to see it. I think a lot of people haven't seen this movie. Let this uh, inspire you. I don't yeah, know if, if where you can find it right now. I don't know, because I don't think it's on anything streaming just yet. So <laughs> I know it's out on DVD uh, now. I'm not sure if that also means it's available uh, to like Somewhere. rent slash purchase on streaming via Amazon or Apple or whatever. But uh, yeah, definitely everyone I think should check out this movie because you know if 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 you like horror movies, it is satisfying not in a like a full bore horror kind of way, but in like a more subdued uh, uh, you know dramatic kind of horror way. Like I mean, if like Hereditary. You know, the way that movie was so focused on uh, emotions. This movie, surprisingly, is focused on emotions, but mm-hmm. it never forgets its fun premise. Mm-hmm. There's no real gross-out moment, so if you're squeamish, you can watch it. Yeah, it's a total PG-13 movie. There's some nudity and some swearing. Yeah. Mild swearing, and you see a butt. <laughs> and a dead person's uh, breasts, I think, for like a second. I don't know. They were dead, so I wasn't uh, I wasn't concerned with that. <laughs> yeah, good job. And so we did it. A Shocktober episode. Have we ever right. done a Shocktober episode? No. We, no, we've so. done episodes in Shocktober, but never, never Shocktober official. episode. It was the perfect timing to do it. Uh, and so next month, we'll jump back into Coppola. We'll be doing uh, Tucker. Tucker, A Man in His Dream. Uh, will it be as good as this movie? We'll see. I don't we'll know. See. I know it's about cars or something, I guess. Something I like Jeff Bridges. Cars. So tune into that. I'm sure that'll drop sometime before Thanksgiving, hopefully. All right. Um, uh, in the meantime, Brian, they, people can listen to you at the World is Wrong podcast. Yes, I do that with my good friend Andros Jones, where we review movies that people hated, that pe- the critics forgot about. And we're like, wait a minute, these movies are good. You should watch this movie. And we are also celebrating Shocktober, but Andras calls it Wrongtober. So I went with that. So we're doing Wrongtober, and uh, we're doing horror movies that aren't horror movies, or movies that you don't know is a horror movie that is a horror movie. We are doing uh, Wolf, Mike Nichols' Wolf. We're doing Ravenous. Uh, We're doing Okja. And Don's Plum, the <laughs> movie starring Leo, little Leo DiCaprio, and Tobey Maguire that has a haunting uh, backstory and is about truly terrifying men in the mid-90s. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> we may be bending it a little with that, but I don't know. I consider that movie horror, sure. Uh, yeah, so tune into that. It's fun. And we also have uh, we recently reached our 100th episode, I believe. Hey. So we have been wow. truly cranking it up. Thanks. COVID quarantine. Uh, <laughs> you can't leave your house. You can just make a lot of podcasts. Yeah. Let that be a lesson. Anyone who's bored at home. And how about you? What have you? What is your? Do you have any projects going on for Shocktober? So uh, every Shocktober on my blog, cinemathenandnow.blogspot.com, beginning 13 days out from Halloween. So on October 19th, I recommend a horror movie each day. For the 13 nights of Shocktober leading up to Halloween. I'm excited. This year, just the preview. There's uh, uh, 
there's a new Halloween Michael Myers movie yep, coming yeah. out that is that is seems like it's gonna be exactly like the last movie, <laughs> which was supposed to be a sequel, like in the style of John Carpenter's Halloween, but was really just another Rob Zombie Halloween. <laughs> it's it's uh, yeah, I didn't care for Halloween 2018 or Halloween Part Two again, <laughs> but kind of not really, which makes. This new Halloween, Halloween Part 3, kind of, but not really. You know what? Why not try a Halloween 3 that is totally different? (laughs) I'm talking, of course, about Halloween 3. Season of the Witch. Season of the Witch. So good. So good. It's so campy. It's like, turn off your brain, just watch horror stuff. (laughs) That, of course, it's not Shocktober without Vincent Price. Uh, TCM is showing, of course, some great Vincent Price movies. I'm going to be recommending it's uh, exciting. some of those. Uh, that's cinemadenandnow.blogspot.com. You can follow me on Letterboxd, where I'm watching horror movies. Of course, Shocktober. I don't follow as strict the rules of you, because uh, my wife is not into horror movies as much as I am. And I have kids, so that means I have to like trick them into watching Monsters, Inc. again <laughs> and count that as Shocktober. <laughs> But I'm watching, I, uh, my goal is to watch at least 31 horror movies, as nice. many as I can, but at least 31. And I am reviewing all of those on Letterboxd. I'm uh, AJGO85, if you want to follow me there. I'm also on Twitter, under the same thing. You can find my longer reviews on Letterboxd and little uh, mini, mini Leonard Maltin style reviews, because Twitter is so uh, yeah, I like that. So short. Uh, you can follow me there. And we have an Instagram page, which I guess you don't know because none of you are following us on Instagram. <laughs> but we have one under the director's wall. And we don't post a lot. We really only post whenever a new episode drops. But don't you want to know when that happens? Yeah. And you know what? If more people interacted with us on it and talked to us on there, maybe we would post more things. Yeah. But you guys are pretty silent out there. It would be great maybe to know if... More- we would maybe get, you know, some some kind of a sponsorship deal and we could do more episodes more frequently. So, yeah, tell us you like it. Reach out. I, I have no idea who's listening to this. I have no clue. Uh, maybe nobody but our mothers. But that's fine. I like our moms, too. But, uh, yeah, just reach out. We I run the Instagram page. So I answer all messages. So far, it's just been other movie podcasts, of which there are a billion. I don't know if you're aware of this, but everyone has a movie podcast. It's really guys. Literally everybody. Guys, guys, we have a podcast. It's really easy to podcast. (laughs) Anyone could do it. Uh, And so I follow a lot of them, and they follow us back. But we don't really interact other than that little tradesies. But reach out, say hey, I like old old too. Thanks a lot. Or hey, I hate it. Uh, Yeah. So this was fun. I'm glad we did old. Please watch old. Buy the DVD. See if it's on some streaming thing. I don't know where, but it's got to be available somewhere. It's a new movie. Yeah, check it out. It's uh, it's great. You want to pair this with six uh, with six cents? Yeah, yeah. That's a good double feature. <laughs> you good... get like serious Oscar Shyamalan and serious kind of kind of fun campy Shyamalan. Well, we did it. Good right, job. We did it. Uh, so, Merry Shocktober to you all. Yeah, Shocktober is what you make it. So make <laughs> it a good one. Hooray! Happy Bless Halloween! Hooray. Happy Halloween!
just gave you the old Shyamalan twist. 